Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst, and Daniel Storey of Football 365. This World Cup is one for the ages, and this England team is a national treasure. Only six of the squad were born when England last reached the semi-final in 1990. That ended in Gaza's tears and a penalty that landed on Pluto. Now, we're delving deeper into football history. Gareth Southgate, or should that be Sir Gareth Southgate, reckons this could be bigger than 1966. You agree? <laughs> well, it wasn't around then, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, it feels like it. I mean, football's massive, isn't it, these days, with the social media explosion. It's definitely brought the country together. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's watching it. Record viewing figures. It's been an awesome summer so far. And whether England win it or not, I, I believe it's the most exciting World Cup that I've ever seen. I think it's the best World Cup finals of my lifetime. And if England were to win it, wow, uh, to win this iconic tournament, that would be amazing. And uh, they've got a chance. Not too many people were saying it ahead of time. I certainly wasn't. But, uh, but based on what I've seen so far, rumour is a shout here. Good. When you have a team which unites a nation like this one is in the process of doing, there's something special in the air. Uh, you know, you look back to 1990, we had the sort of psychodrama of Gaza. Mm. Uh, Bobby Robson came across so well as this sort of father figure. But did that team have as much impact as the current team? I think the difference is that this team came from a lower position of expectation. Um, this kind of it's coming home culture has, I think, been slightly misrepresented as England assuming they're going to win a World Cup. That, that's exactly the opposite, I think. I think it came from a position where no one thought we were going to win the World Cup, but we were determined to have a good time. Uh, and we assumed it would be a short time. And it's actually, as you say, it's been as long a time as we've had since 1990. Um, and... I think basically, I think it's symbiotic. I think that the, the national mood of optimism has driven the players. They've seen the videos. They've seen, um, you know, seen fans on the streets, street parties, cheering. That gets them going. But then, obviously, the way they performed above expectation gets the country going as well. And no, we're almost in sort of disbelief at the moment <laughs> at what's happening. We're going to pinch ourselves and wake up. But. Yeah, they're there because they deserve to yeah. be there. Mm. Yeah. As, as oldies are looking back at 66 <laughs> and we're thinking, there are similarities. You know, Ramsey, who funnily enough was younger when he won the World it's Cup than, than Gareth Southgate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 40, 46. He'd had a tough so, life, hadn't he? <laughs> yeah, didn't he? Um, you know, the, he had a plan. So, you know, it was yeah. the wingless wonders. He had players who came through late into the team and the squad, you know, the Hurst and Peters and people like that. Is there a sense that almost history is repeating itself? In that? Maybe, yeah. I, I really like the way that Southgate's gone about it. I have to say the the construction of, of the squad of the tactics is really really interesting. Uh, I was listening to to Steve Holland talking about it, and uh, it was he was basically saying we we just wanted to find a system that suited our strengths and, and didn't work against our weaknesses. And uh, and basically the three at the back comes about because we're not blessed with great centre halves. Let's have three. Safety by numbers. Central midfield is a huge dearth of talent at the moment here in England. Let's bulk it up in there. Let's go a little bit on the front foot. Where are our strengths? We've got tons of wing backs, loads of great fullbacks that can fly forward and, and deliver quality. And where's our big strength? It's up top. Let's get two up there um, with others joining in. Let's go, you know, attack is the best form of defence. And I just think that the way he's constructed that was great. And, and the second part that I really like about it is that he didn't pick players on reputation. OK, a lot's been made of him choosing younger players, but he didn't even go for younger players that have got lots of, got previous caps. He, he, he's just 
backed himself, his judgment of players, whether they had no caps, two caps or 20 caps. And he thought he's picked the right guys for, for his style of play and they are delivering for him. So, yep. yeah, he, he's, he's absolutely nailing it at Southgate. I think the other thing that he's managed to do because he's doing that is that previous England teams at tournaments have been full of star players, but we've basically, they've basically played as a, a collection of those star players and they've all done what they've done at club level. You look at Harry Kane in this tournament, at club level he takes five and a half shots a game for Tottenham. At international level, he's realised, well, I'm not going to get those chances. I've not got Christian Eriksen to create my chances for me, so I'll, I'll be, play the selfless role. I'll drop deep, I'll hold the ball up, I'll try and bring others into play. So we're actually playing with a team that has adapted to international level, which and in my lifetime, that's never happened at an international tournament for England. Yeah, yeah. People are still saying, you know, people are still criticising Harry Kane, which I can't get my head around are at they? all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, maybe I would like him to be less uh, selfless at times. Yeah, I want him on the shoulder of defenders. But you're, you're right, Daniel, the, the, the service into him has got to be there, hasn't yeah. it, for him to, to stay there. I just wonder, being captain, he probably feels that uh, uh, urge to, to dig deep and help out a little bit more than he would, he would have done for Tottenham. But no, I mean, he's had a fantastic tournament. OK, not many chances from open play, but he's, he's hardly, missed, hardly missed a shot, no. has he, Harry Kane? Mm. And you want him in there. Obviously, echoes of Lineker back in 1990 and in 96, when we got to the semis of the Euros, we had Alan Shearer. It's so important, isn't it, to have a, a predator up there, someone who's, who relishes the big stage. And, and a lot of these guys have prove, proven that the big stage doesn't phase them. And I guess that's another... Uh, I think Southgate and his team deserve credit for that as well, because they've definitely taken away the burden of the, of the badge. It, it, it is now. They are relishing the experience. They're just thinking, well, pressure. Well, why are we under pressure at the World Cup? Let's just enjoy it. Mm. Um, it yeah, it, and, that, and that's why we're loving it. Mm, it's because I found it very interesting that, that Southgate compared um, Kane to Johnny Wilkinson in terms of you know, the, the mental strength to withstand that pressure of knowing, in essence, you're the one who's going to be at the end of the process to score the goals or kick the goals. Mm. I thought that was very, very interesting, but also indicative of Southgate's approach where he's looking at other sports, yeah. other examples. And again, it's a much more grown-up piece of modern management. Yeah, there was a really interesting video uh, that the England camp released yesterday of just of the players doing a post-match Pilates session. Um, and I, I watched it and I thought, if this had been a previous team, you'd have seen players giggling in that. You'd have seen mm. players kind of, not taking the mickey, but just going through the motions and seeing that it was a bit of a PR thing, but everyone was deadly serious. Kane was kind of leading the session on behalf of the, the instructor and it was just, it was completely professional. And I thought, you wouldn't have got that before. Um, and you're right with the other sports, not just other sports, but other cultures as well. You know, psychologists coming in to help us with penalties, watching the Minnesota Timberwolves basketball team and watching NFL for set-piece techniques, watching Johnny Wilkinson and speaking to probably speaking to Steve Peters about the, you know, the mental psychology there. So, yeah, there's no stone being left unturned. The, the silly thing is that that should always be the case. This is a World <laughs> yeah. Cup. This is the pinnacle. This, yeah. this should always be happening. And, and what I do think that Gareth's done is, I don't think any of this is for effect. I don't, this, this is just him doing the job he thinks that he should yeah, do. Yeah, it's, it's interesting he's spoken about, and I know it's not fashionable to praise Eddie Jones, the rugby coach, England rugby coach anymore, but what he learned from him is the importance of empowering your players. So in other words, they are proactively contributing to the game plan mm -hmm. because basically they've got to have the nous and the nerve to do it on the pitch and change things as things, it, uh, you know, turn out. It's a, it's a whacking great cliche, but... It's, it's helping players to help themselves, basically. There's no dictatorial element. There's no school teacher or headmaster element to Southgate. There's a clear respect from him to the players and therefore from the players to him. And they're all working towards the same goal. This is not a, a manager leading his squad to a major tournament success. This is everyone doing it together. He's having even a tournament with just a group of mates who are going away having a good time. And he's treating them like adults, you know, not, not de demanding to this. Yeah, I think, I think it's really sensible management. He's... Um, yeah, everything that Gareth Southgate is, is doing at the moment is turning to gold, isn't it? I still think he hasn't been challenged tactically in-game really too, too much. What has he got up his sleeve in terms of a plan B if things are going wrong? Mm. Uh, well, hopefully we're never, we won't find out. Um, but he does have Steve Holland there to lean on in that regard. But in terms of the prep, it's brilliant. I loved uh, the, 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 the bit on penalties where they'd looked into 
the time between the whistle of the penalty and for an England take, uh, England penalty taker to then do the run-up. Because they were rushing, weren't yeah, they? And they? Yeah, and previous England teams have rushed it. It's been under one second for a lot of the missed penalties. And here we were taking two and three seconds, puffing our cheeks out, saying, we'll take it when we're ready. You have the power. Um, it's not the goalkeeper. And even with England players going up, Jordan Pickford interacting with the players when they come and had that long, lonely walk. Again, just a little bit of extra comfort there to, to say that you're not alone. Those kind of minor details are absolutely fantastic mm -hmm. to hear and see in action. And uh, yeah, I think no matter what happens, the, the coaching side of things uh, has been a real triumph. Because you were stressing yesterday, the collective, in other words, you know, after, after the, the game uh, on Saturday, he was talking about not just the reserve team players within the squad, but you know, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain who's injured, the standby players like Lalana, even Joe Hart. Now, you've been around professional <laughs> dressing rooms and they're quite cynical places. Oh, right. yeah. Do you think the players actually believe in that sort of stuff? Uh, believe in it. I think they believe, they trust Gareth Southgate because he's very open, isn't he? Communication, I think, is his great strength. And my recollections of being a player and, and of knowing footballers is that all you want is a bit of honesty and uh, openness. You don't want someone to lie to you. And when you do find out managers lied to you, then then things can deteriorate quite quickly. So I think he's been really open up front. And it is about, again, it's another cliche, but it is about managing you know, 12 to 23 in terms of the squad because you, he'll need them at some point or another. And he can't have them you know, uh, disenchanted. And by saying little things like that, it just plants that little seed with the players. I am part of this. I, you know, I do feel like he's going to use me. And, and yeah, it's, it's great for team spirit. You don't want it to be just a closed shop, do you? One to, you know, no, no. Two and then the other thing that he's done, because of England's performances, players want, will want to play, even after this tournament, players will, the first friendlies in September mm. and October, November, players will think, I really want to be in that England squad now because... I can be part, of, even if we don't win this tournament, I can be part of something special in 2020. So yeah. there is now a, we talk about pathways to players and it, players from young squads to England squad yeah. wanting those pathways through, but players will demand that now because yeah. they will want to play for their clubs in order to get an international call-up rather than, as has happened in the past, playing international friendlies and thinking, I wish I was back on my club training Nothing, nothing they, that any of these players have achieved at club level replicates the excitement they're feeling now. Nothing. Um, okay, they might go out in the semi-finals, and if you've won a Champions League, you might mm. say that's a greater achievement. But to carry the weight of a nation and to really get the, the whole country behind you in front of the entire world watching uh, and to perform well on that stage, it doesn't get any better than that. So uh, I agree. I think that players now will be desperate for England call-ups and desperate to play international football. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of welcome, positive change. Mm. Talking of changes, do you expect an unchanged team against Croatia? And I just want to focus that question a bit on Raheem Sterling. Mm -hmm. uh, Vinnie Jones, that great poet laureate of ignorance, <laughs> has come out and said, well, if he didn't have any pace, Raheem Sterling would be playing for Exeter. Well, one, that's disrespectful to Exeter, and it's complete rubbish, basically. Yep. But it's quite symptomatic of a certain element of criticism which is being directed at, at Raheem Sterling, probably in defiance of the football reality that he actually contributes to the team. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? Um, I think he has been excellent in this tournament. I think he's dragged away central defenders. He, it should be said he is playing a completely different role than he plays at Manchester City. At Manchester City, um, his role is to start a counter-attack or at least help with a counter-attack, but then at a point in that counter-attack, get into the six yard, get six, seven, eight yards from goal. Um, and try and get on the end of a cutback from Leroy Sané or David Silva or Kevin De Bruyne. Um, he has not had a shot in this tournament, I don't think, from six, seven, eight yards out. Mm. So we're a completely different team. He's therefore playing a different role, which is to run the channels, try and drag central defenders out, to give opposition managers a headache, and he's doing that. You heard the Sweden manager, we've already heard the Croatian manager say he is the one we're worried about because he offers a dimension that no-one else in that team offers. I understand why he's getting criticism because... His finishing has not been good enough in this tournament. Mm. Uh, and his finishing is something that he will want to work on anyway. But I think that two things. Firstly, I think we now, in, in the modern game, we demand that footballers be complete footballers too much. Wingers, there have been a lot of wingers down the years who couldn't finish particularly well. You, well, you can't have a complete football anymore. Not everyone's Lionel Messi. And also, I think it's symptomatic of, um, of watching, perhaps watching football and only remembering 
small incidents and remembering negatives because yeah. he is suffering for that. And, and I'm just so glad that Southgate and, and lots of people in the media are, are sticking up for him now. Yeah, no, I, I I do agree. I think a lot a lot of the criticism is just born out of ignorance. Really, not they're not watching the game closely enough. I think I think he's he has been excellent, um, but you do want a bit more in product from him. You want him to create more chances to 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 hit the target more often. I personally would have had Rashford in ahead of the tournament. I felt like his momentum was huge and that he was in more of, much more of a goal threat. But but now having watched the games, I would I certainly wouldn't drop Raheem Sterling. I think. he... He deserves he deserves his place. He takes the strain off of Harry Kane as well, doesn't he? Up there in terms of the work rate and the runs that Harry has to make. So so yeah. Now Raheem Sterling is not going to get dropped. That is for sure. And just hope that he can he can finish off a chance sooner rather than later and, and become a, a real hero because I think you know he, he deserves it. I remember being at Wembley last season watching uh, Spurs demolish Liverpool four mm. one, and in that game. Uh, Young Min's son basically played the role that Sterling will for England, which was dragging away a central defender, and Sterling will try and drag Vida out yeah. to the right, which left Harry Kane one on one with Dejan Lovren, and he, yeah. and he he flourished in that game. And if England try and do the same again on Wednesday evening, then they can hope for the yeah. same plan. Uh, World Cup winner, remember the French World Cup winner inside Guy Vash was the striker. Mm. He didn't hardly score a goal, but he was invaluable to the team. Giroud at the moment for France, they're much better side with him in rather than out. He's not scored a goal. So, yeah, the, the, football's a team game and some, some players' presence alone can make you a better team even if they're not individually shining. Mm. Let's look at midfield if we can, Dan. Mm. Um, Jordan Henderson, unbeaten in his last 30 games as an England That's amazing, player. isn't it? Yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a key area, isn't it, with you know, the sort of Barcelona-Real Madrid mm. axis of Rakitic and, and Modric. Um, He's actually really impressed me. He's almost the most consistent England performer in this tournament. What do you think? I think he's been excellent. I, I do think he has benefited from um, some favourable matches. Uh, I think the, the two teams in the group stage that, we, that he played against didn't offer much attacking threat, certainly not in number 10. And then, obviously, we played Colombia, and, and because of the absence of James Rodriguez, they, they played down the left with... Um, with Quintero and they played down the right with Cuadrado and, and Henderson I think he touched the ball maybe 15 times in the first half he was kind of he was almost there as an attacking mm. provoker of attacks rather than a, a blocker um, but he was excellent against Sweden he made big blocks he made big tackles he, he has dealt really well with kind of half losing the England captaincy that he would have hoped to have been named oh, England yeah. captain for this tournament and obviously Harry Kane was but he's still a leader in that team he talks about being part of the players council that Southgate mm. has he plays like a captain yeah he does uh, I think he will come in, he will be tested on Wednesday, but only if Croatia play an extra midfielder and can get Modric up. Because Modric has almost played a bit like Kevin De Bruyne in this tournament in, for Belgium, in that he's, he's had to stay quite deep because he's only got one next to him in Rakitic. And obviously, what Southgate's done is put three in there and given a couple of licences. But um, yeah, they need to get Modric further up the pitch, I think, to trouble Henderson. Otherwise, they can hope to kind of press and snuff him at source. Let him have it. And, yeah. and, and it'll be up to the likes of Sterling and Ali mm. and Lingard to, to snap away at the heels yeah. of, of Luka Modric in those deeper areas. It's not his problem. Jordan can just sit there and screen the service into, into, um, into the striker. So, so we'll see what happens. I think if you were to look at it analytically and break it down, you'd probably say England would be wiser to go with a Delft-type player in there as well to, to, to balance things out defensively. But this England team and everything that... That they do and everything Southgate's preaching is about positivity, yeah. playing on the front foot. So I don't think he'll change it. Actually, I don't think he'd be right to change it. Let's stick, let's stick with this formula. Mm. They're working so hard, Lingard and Ali around mm. him, uh, even though Ali has not, not caught the eye hugely, that I think will be OK. It, it's in the final, potentially, if England get there, where you're coming up against a, a different level of player, potentially, where Henderson may find himself outclassed. But I he may need a bit more, a bit more help alongside him, but I would, I wouldn't change it. This is this, this is our moment. Let's let's grab the ball by the horns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there a case to be made for looking at the quality of coaching that these players are getting at club level? So if you look at managers like Pep and Klopp and Pochettino, they are developing quickly as players. You know, someone like John Stones is, you know, he's had a bit of tough luck at City, but mm. he's he's moving on. Are we almost getting like a Premier League dividend here? 
I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I think that the performance of, of those managers in the Premier League has been above almost anything else in Europe. And the Premier League still struggles to attract the world's best players, but it doesn't struggle to attract the world's best coaches. The only caveat to that, I'd say, and, and in complementing Gareth Southgate, is that one of the biggest things that we've been impressed with and one of the biggest gambles he made on the eve of this tournament was to move Carl Walker as a centre-back and play Kieran Trippier at right wing-back. We, we hit on this wing-back formation to all intents and purposes because we had in Danny Rose and Carl Walker, two of the best wing-backs in the world, mm. and neither of them barely played a minute in that position. But in picking Walker there um, with Stones and Maguire, you saw particularly against Colombia, the number of times Walker was on the cover to sprint round and, and clear up danger. That was a Southgate move. That wasn't a Pep Guardiola move. Mm. Um, and that wasn't something, hearing Pep talk about it, that wasn't something that Guardiola particularly expected to happen. And yet that was Southgate doing that. So I agree fully with yeah. that. But he's also sprinkled his own... Yeah, the, the, yeah these managers have, have improved the individual players they work with. I, I've no doubt about that. They are true elite coaches, aren't mm. they? Yeah. Um, but Southgate's come up with his own formula. I mean, how many teams played 3-5-2 last year? Hardly anyone. Mm. Hardly anyone. So... Again, I go back to the point I made at the start. He, he's devised this formula around the players that he's got at his disposal and deserves massive credit. But yeah, yeah, the individuals have, uh, yeah, they've got good quality, better quality probably than we gave yeah. them credit for. Mm. You look at the back three, Maguire is, you know, he's, he's on the way to being a sort of social media folk hero mm -hmm. now. <laughs> you know, that picture of him leaning over talking to, a, That's funny, to, to whom I assume is his girlfriend. Um, that, uh, does that bode badly for Leicester because, you know, he could be one of these classic players who gets a big move off the back of a World Cup. Yeah, and he was, he was, he was already being linked with a, I think, £50 million move to Manchester United in, in you know, transfer rumour columns before this tournament started. Um, yes, I think, I think that is inevitable fallout. It does feel, because this World Cup and England have captured the mood so much, it feels like transfers have gone very much on the back burner and that's... You know, no one working in our industry will, will say that's a bad thing. It's been brilliant to focus on the football fully. Um, but as soon as this tournament finishes, there is going to be a, a, a mad rush for transfers because the, the window closes early and he will be one name who will be linked with big clubs. But that, that, you know, that, that's, that can only be a good thing. If your players aren't being linked with £50 million yeah. moves, it's because they're, they're not playing as well as you'd yeah. like. So Perspective as well. Tunisia, Panama... Yeah, Belgium, we did, didn't play, you know, a, that was a friendly. Yeah. Um, Colombia didn't even try and play football against us. Mm. Um, Sweden, championship looking side to me. So I think perspective is needed. I that think, was a heck of a header, though, wasn't it? Oh, was it? <laughs> As a oh, real look, slab head. Slab, slab, when slab head's in the opposition box, <laughs> he's, he's a nightmare, isn't he? I, I read a stat this morning that he got onto the end of 11 quarters in this tournament alone. Uh, stone seven and the rest were twos and threes. So, so they're clearly aiming to pick him out. He's a massive unit and he's a huge threat. But his plays really impressed me. Uh, we knew he could bring the ball mm. out of defence, but I, I've loved his temperament. He's, he's raised his level for, for, for the stage, but... Yeah, I think another season at Leicester. Let's let's find out how good he really is. Um, if I'm Leicester's manager, by the way, I'm thinking back three this year: Johnny Evans, Harry Maguire, and another. I think is is 100% the way to go because he he he's a little bit slow on the turn. We can't ignore mm. that. Mm. But in a in a back three, he can get away with Suits it. Suits Chilwell as well, doesn't it? There, he can try and get in that team if he struggles. So. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, I hope he, I hope he doesn't bail. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm looking at. You know, and it, I'm probably at the risk of um, upsetting Liverpool fans here, but we know that Dejan Lovren can be an absolute liability at set pieces. Mm -hmm. Is that one real big area of opportunity for, for England? Yeah, they will be rubbing their hands because actually one of the things that really disappointed me about Sweden is how poor they defended. In the tournament, they'd been excellent. Um, Andreas Granqvist and Victor Lindelof, arguably the well, certainly the surprise centre half success of the yeah. of the tournament. Um, but England found a way, both from a set piece and also from a, a crossing situation open play, which they effectively turned into a set piece by Jesse Lingard stopping the ball dead, then delivering it, and Ali with his late run in the box. We've seen him do that against, I remember he scored twice against Chelsea doing that, so he, we know he can make those runs. Uh, so it's not just from set pieces, it's from all crosses, and, and yeah, if there's one area of Dejan Lovren's defending that suffers, it's, it's concentration and picking up his man, 
and they will be rubbing their hands at that. Yeah, yeah. I just don't rate Day enough, and I've hammered him on on, on this <laughs> podcast many a time. Yeah, I just think he's he's very fortunate to be playing for Liverpool and unfortunate to be in a in a World Cup semi final. So no, I think he's absolutely the weak link, and uh, yeah, we should try and play on that. Do you think? Croatia have got another game in them, you know, because you've had the cumulative stress of, of two penalty shootouts. Um, you know, it's a last genera- it's a it's a last chance saloon yeah. type of generation, isn't it? Yeah, I was in I was in a talk sport earlier, and, and Jim White had just done an interview with um, the Belgian Graham Jones, the Belgian mm-hmm. coach, Martinez, yeah, Martinez's Martinez assistant, assistant. Yeah. and he admitted that that. They're basically Belgium were absolutely exhausted. They're out on their feet the next day after their victory against Brazil and they're still tired. And it's very much about managing that, that fat- mental and physical mm. fatigue coming into the semi-final. They've not played anywhere near as many minutes as, a, as an ageing Croatia side. So it, it's falling into place, you, you have to say. <laughs> it really is. And yeah, they're, they're not getting any younger, those guys. There were a few injuries, weren't there, yeah, yeah. towards the end of that game for Croatia as well. So... So, for me, it's, it is all about high tempo, as it always is with, with England. Can we start fast? Can we get that first goal? We all know that England's record when we fall behind in World Cup tournaments is shocking. So, so I'm, look, I'm hoping that England will come out of the traps very fast, very bold, and to, and to really ask some questions. Because, yeah, if, if we do take the lead and it gets deep in that second half, have Croatia got that? Have they got the physical capability mm. to get themselves back into the game against quite, a, quite what's becoming quite a streetwise England team? I'm not sure they will. So I hope I'm not tempting fate there. Because yeah, we're into that situation you know, that club managers refer to as Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, where, again, that cumulative stress, physical and mental, takes a toll. Um, are we then looking at England's preparation as being a real another positive in terms of they seem to have got the science right as well. Yeah, they, they if you look at the, the running stats, Jordan Henderson is covering a huge amount of ground and still looked relatively fresh at, towards the end of this, the Sweden game. Um, this is, I would say, this is where the two group games against, certainly game against Panama and the game against Belgium obviously helps. I wasn't completely sold on on sacrificing that game but the, now you haven't got through against Colombia you now see the benefit of it because if you look at the minutes Croatia have played um, other than that Iceland match that they could rest players for mm. they have had to go at it for, for the whole mm. tournament and um, yeah we cannot overlook the difference between playing 120 minutes in a domestic cup game and playing 120 minutes in a World Cup final when it matters so much. As you, you mentioned, the mental fatigue, mm. purely getting yourself up for that game and the hype and the adrenaline running, it, it, it's going to affect you. Yeah, the bigger games, I didn't play at that level, anywhere near that level. But, but yeah, when you play in the Premier League or you play at Wembley when I did for English schoolboys, it's in front of huge crowds. It does drain you. It, it can take it out of your legs, more, more so. And I think it's, a lot of it is down to that adrenaline. And the come down can be heavy now you know these are top level players they're used to the, the, those highs and lows but but world cup you know the games do come thick and fast um and again i, I guess it's, the the youth is on is on england's side again here they're fit, fit boys aren't they mm. i don't think there'll be there'll be an issue with fitness going forward so um <laughs> and we're talking so so positively at the moment coming into this semi-final i, I can't see loads to worry about okay you hope that they'll turn up on the day and re- replicate the levels that they've produced. Mm. But you, you're, not, you're not looking at this fixture and feeling dread, are you? They, they, no. they were nervous in the first half an hour against Sweden. I think that should be said. I, I hope that... That's understandable, though. Yeah, of they? course. And then uh, people were a little bit critical of the start. Mm. But, but they didn't give a lot away. No, they didn't. And, and also, when you've got... You know, when you demand a team is young and hungry and likeable and optimistic and buoyant, you can't then criticise them when they are slightly naive or slightly nervous because they're not robots. I I saw that as a massive positive, actually, the fact that England were pretty ropey at the start of that game, yet they they didn't let it get to them. They didn't Mm. let their chins drop. They didn't crumble. They just sort of went back to basics, played, played simple passes... Gradually got a grip of the game and then boom, suddenly Sweden are on the back foot, we score and, and hey presto, we're away. So that was a really positive sign. And I, I keep going back to it though, we'd not really face huge adversity. I guess the only mm. other piece of adversity is Yerry Meany's goal um, towards the end of that game. And again, we didn't let that 
really wind us up. We said, mm. okay, fine, it's happened. We got on with it. So, um, yeah, it's uh, that's another tick. Mm. And, we, you know, we've talked on here over the last couple of weeks about the importance of this squad being tested, if you like, in, in the lower leagues and they're tested in their character. I thought it was very interesting that Jordan Pickford yep. was saying basically, pressure, yeah. World Cup, well, not particularly, but if yeah, you're exactly. playing in League One or in non-league, that's pressure. Yeah, and it's one thing to say um, sound bites like that are very popular and sell very well, but you get the sense that he means it. Um, mm. You get the sense that this is the pinnacle and because it's the pinnacle, why would you ever want to put any roadblocks in your path to, mm. to succeeding? And, and one of the roadblocks that England have had down the years is crumbling and cracking on that yeah. biggest stage. Mm. Um, a Jordan Pickford might not realise it, but a lot of credit for that goes into the coaching staff and the, you know, the psychology work that goes in because it's all very well saying, I'm going to play my best at the biggest level. It very often doesn't happen like that. Mm. So it's a huge tick in the box. But he's got that thing that goalkeepers need. Yeah. You know, he's not a shy boy, is he? No, and no. he does believe it. <laughs> I, saw a tweet, I saw a tweet, I can't remember who it was, that said he, he's, he's the goalkeeper that Joe Hart wishes he was at the moment uh, <laughs> yeah. because he's got that passion, he's got that bravado and he's not afraid to scream at his centre-backs when a shot gets comes on goal, yeah. he but he backs it up. Yeah, he backs yeah, it up. He relishes the big games. I mean, the fact that most of this English squad were brought up in academies, that are relatively small clubs, I think is a big, is a really big, uh, big story actually. And when when all is said and done, and we look back and review what's happened here, I think that, that clubs will probably maybe have a different viewpoint on on the experiences they give the younger players. I think it's so so important that they they're given the hard yards, the sink or swim moments. Even Harry Kane, who I think was the only player to come through a Premier League academy all the way through mm. at Spurs. Even he, as we all know, has mm. played for Leighton Orient, Millwall, he's been, he's been around the block. So it's just part of a football education. They're not, this is the most unpampered group of England players I can ever remember. And that they know what it's like to really have nothing. Mm. Not, not nothing, but... The, 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 They've experienced uh, the other side of things and I think that's made them hungrier. And it is absolutely imperative that our youth players coming through now experience that as well. Mm. Let's look at the other semi-final, uh, Belgium-France. Um, you mentioned uh, Graham Jones, mm. uh, Martinez's mm. assistant just now. You know, frankly, we've given Martinez a few pelters on here. <laughs> and uh, does he deserve more credit? Well, he, he tactically... It was a bit of a masterclass against Brazil. He did really well, didn't he? I, yeah. I, I thought it was beyond him. I, I hold my hands up, but not a massive Martinez fan. Going forward, he's always been great, but, but his organisation of defenders has been shocking, quite frankly. So, so no, he, but he nailed it. He tweaked his system and he's working with what he's got really well. And, and I thought the way that the front three sort of uh, combined and they had clearly had their jobs without the ball, like Lukaku got on the right wing at times. He got it right. He got it right. And... Um, yeah, it's you wonder can he replicate it in a semi-final and a final? Maybe he can. He, he's got good players. Let's let's mm. be honest. Mm. At his disposal, he's an elite group of players. He's got a brilliant front three. He's got very experienced defenders. A, a, a top quality goalkeeper, um, and he's just gone for cloggers in midfield. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, managing to get it, it looked obvious to us watching in the, in the group games, but, but managing to get Kevin De Bruyne further forward has been imperative. I mean, that Dries was Merton, a mistake. I yeah, mean, Dries Mertens is a good player, but if, if, if having him in the team as well means that Kevin De Bruyne has to play as a regulation centre midfielder, yeah. there is no benefit to having him in, Mertens in the team because mm. it stymies everything that De Bruyne... We know De Bruyne is brilliant Absolutely. Um, and obviously watching that, I mean, watching that counter-attack where Lukaku oh, does his thing, right. lays it off, De Bruyne does... That was just watching the best of them at club level replicated yeah. at the World Cup. Mm. Yeah, but with great. Lukaku, you don't see that too often at club level where he's actually free to run at people, so you see his balance and his pace mm. and his power... And a little bit of intelligence in there, which yeah. people probably overlook. Absolutely do. I think at club level, the temptation for Mourinho is to use him as a target man, basically, to, to ask him to win headers, to ask him to solely hold the ball up. Whereas he, he is brilliant. When he gets up ahead of steam and gets the ball at feet, his dribbling is far better than anyone gives him credit for. And his, obviously his body strength helps him and his pace helps him. But, yeah, he's a, he's a clever well, striker He's a counter-attacking well, yeah. player, isn't he? He's, yeah. a, he's, a, he's a striker that is at his best on powerful breakaways. And... Yeah, maybe Jose Mourinho needs to turn Manchester United into that sort of side. But when they play the slow, stilted football, it's, mm. you're, not playing, you're not playing to Lukaku's strengths. No. But I'll tell you, he's another player that, that 
you, you can see now that he has got what it takes at the highest level. We've, we've probably all criticised him at one point or another for not turning up in the big games. But against Brazil, that was a magnificent performance, mm. wasn't it? That was, that was nine, nine and a half out of ten. Like we said about Kane, selfless as well, um, which... Mm. At the biggest level, centre forwards, they see a World Cup and they see a golden boot as mm. this is my chance to make a name for myself. But yeah. both of them so selfless. I think he can he can really hurt France. I, I, I'm not I, a lot of people love Umtiti for Barcelona. He, he has had a couple of decent seasons, but there are mistakes mm. in him. I'm I'm not sold on Umtiti as a as a world class centre back. I mm. think I think down that channel he could he could get joy. Mm. Conversely, let's look at the you know the Belgian defenders. The Spurs influence is very, very strong, isn't it? Mm. Um, where, why are, for instance, why are Spurs letting Alderweireld go? What I can't see the logic in. That. I think I think it comes down to Pochettino's principles, which is um, I only want footballers at Tottenham Hotspur who a don't think they're bigger than the club, b don't think they're worth more than the club, and c are happy to step into line. That's not step into line in terms of sergeant major management, but it's step into line in terms of. Um, believing in the process and I, I think the accusation and, and it actually it came against you Vertonghen had the same accusations a couple of years ago where he was mm. not close to leaving but there were rumours he might that summer I think the accusation is that he's got his mind elsewhere and I, I think Pochettino thinks as soon as someone's got their mind elsewhere yeah. I would rather have but them isn't, out Isn't the reality though that, that Vertonghen and Alderweireld mm. Are better than the sum of the parts as a as a combination in terms that they they so. they give each other. Uh, yeah, I, I've never again. It sounds like being hypercritical, really, because Vertonghen had a good see, very good season last year. I've never been completely on board with him being a, a truly top class centre back either. I think he's very good on the ball, and he has his moments, but he also makes a, he can make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, I'm surprised that that, that unit's been broken up, but it comes down to cash and out of Ira. The Spurs have, have been unprepared to give him the money he needs. Mm. He knows for a fact that a club like United will pay him double, and it's United. And, and uh, so, so yeah, unfortunately, it's just one of those. He, he's a he's a victim of the Spurs sort of policy there. Um, but he's, he's miles better, isn't he, Alderweireld? I think than Davinson Sanchez, mm. and I think he's better than Vertonghen too. Mm. Look at the goalkeeper Courtois. It does seem because you know there's this paralysis at Chelsea at the moment mm -hmm. that he would be forgiven for having one eye on his own future. Yeah. That potential distraction. I don't think so. Um, I think that from what Adrian said about the World Cup being the pinnacle of these players' careers and winning Champions Leagues is great, but World Cups are better, I, d I don't think there's any way it can be a distraction. Um, I think he might think about it from time to time during the tournament, but I don't think that reduces his, his mm. performance level in games. Um, and I don't blame him for wanting a move, quite Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea are going to listen to offers, aren't they? Because he's trying to run his contract down. He's put mm. himself into a great mm. position, fair play. And Chelsea actually probably... Should cash in on him now, as long as they get a good backup. But Chelsea's a shambles at the moment, isn't it? Like Courtois probably has to go. Hazard, if I'm in Hazard's shoes, I'm eyeing up a move as soon as you get knocked out. Of the he's world. growing into the tournament. Hazard's been Hazard. brilliant. Oh, he's in my team in the tournament. I think mean, he's a contender, isn't he? I mean, contender for the best player at the tournament if he continues the level that he produced in the last game and, and the first couple. So, yeah, in the Hazard is he's top notch. He's, yeah. on, he's in that. He's in that little club, isn't he? Behind behind Messi and Ronaldo. I think the other thing with, with players like Courtois and Hazard, it's almost a flip side. It's almost, if I play brilliantly in this World Cup semi-final, I improve my likely salary at another club. I improve my chances of getting a, an elite club move that I want. So it could be a driver rather than a distraction, I think. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Are, are we seeing a change of the guard in this World Cup? You know, obviously Messi is at home, Ronaldo's at home, Neymar was nothing more than a diamond-studded show pony. <laughs> um, now you've got new names, new ambitions. Mm. Uh, who, who do you think will seize the moment in these semi-finals? Well, it, I think it's been set up in the eyes of uh, the media and the watching world for Kylian Mbappe to be the breakout star of this tournament. There's no doubt about that. It seems strange that we're saying that about the second most expensive player of all time because mm -hmm. he, he clearly should be at that level anyway, but he had not quite uh, showed the whole world as one um, that he was ready to take on that mantle. He has also, it's been a strange tournament, and I think it's been a brilliant tournament, but he did only have one brilliant game, which was that last 16 game when he tore Argentina apart and an Argentina that was set up very much for him to do so. Mm. Uh, so yes, this, this should be his stage now, but I think 
I think the theme of the tournament has been that there are a, a large number of one-man teams at the start of this tournament. So we talked about Messi and Ronaldo and, you know, Hyun Min Sun for South Korea and Mohamed Salah for Egypt. There are a lot of one-man teams, but I think the... Harry Kane for England? Yeah, well, I think, <laughs> I think the, team, the collective has outshone the individual. It has, yeah. Which is brilliant because football was in danger of becoming a little bit of a of individual sport. Uh, yeah, and, and France have become a better team because of Giroud yep. taking a superstar or a young superstar, Dembele, out of, out of the side. They've become a better, better side for it. Uh, Belgium have taken out Dries Mertens, as you mm. rightly pointed out. Sensational season. Become a better be, better side for, for that as well. So... Um, so yeah, and, Ko- and Kovacic uh, of Croatia can't can't get in that side, and he, you know, he gets a lot of game time at, at Real Madrid. So no one's getting th- picked on names, are yeah, they? Yeah, their manager has also said, you know what, I'm not going to go on, on who you play for. I'm going to go for what suits us. Mm. So um, yeah, that is that is that's been a theme, no doubt. Mm. What does Pogba have to do to live up to the hype? He's done alright. Yeah, I think he's been fine. I think actually the worst thing he could have tried to do in this tournament was live up to the hype and meet his critics head on. What he needed to do is play the role in that French team that, that Deschamps asked him to play, which is a kind of, actually, I think quite similar to, to Deli Ali's role in this England team is a sort of kind of box-to-box shuttler, basically, which is not a role that gets, it's quite easy to, to get overlooked doing that role, I think. Um, I think he's done it better than Ali has in this tournament. I think he's been excellent. Um, I don't think there's been the hype. I think Euro 2016, we saw a lot of shots from distance, as at Manchester United, a lot of demanding to take free kicks, a lot of I'll grab the game by the, you know, by the scruff of its neck, and that's exactly what France don't need him to do. Yeah. I think, and I think he's done what he's done pretty well. Content Pogba is one of the best. Well, on paper, it's an outstanding midfield anyway. But I think they have lived up to their to reputation. I think Kante is extraordinary. He's, he's just brilliant, isn't he? <laughs> he's, yeah. he's a serial winner. I, I, yeah, I, I really, I love everything about. It. He would also get into my team of the tournament, even though he's not had one amazing game. Mm-hmm. I think he's been like a seven and a half, eight out of ten most games, and he's helped sort of knit that knit that French team together on, on that I'd, I'd turn around the, the, the player that Arsenal are hoping to sign this week Lucas Torreira I think he he might just be the second best of those defensive mm. midfielders reminds me so much of N'Golo Conte so um, yeah just does those yeah, I, I, if you've got a player that loves the dirty work like that and and really puts themselves about. It makes such a difference. But yeah, France are very very professional side, aren't they? Very streetwise. Brazil have got more. Uh, Belgium rather have got more flaws. Mm. I think they're set up for. for Talking about the team over the collective, uh, the team over the individual. The one player who I thought would stand out for France in this tournament is Anton Griezmann, and yeah. he's arguably been the quietest mm. member of that starting mm. attack. So. Yeah. They've got another gear as well. And, and, and France as well. They've got two exciting fullbacks in Sidibe and, and Mendy. But Deschamps actually thought, you know what? We're a better team without them. Yeah. With Hernandez and Pavard. And, you know, both have got better as the tournament has gone along. So um, Deschamps, who I'm not a huge fan of, I think pretty deserves a bit of credit. Yeah, it's all a credit. And I know you described them generically as cloggers. Yeah. Fellaini. Yeah. Man for all seasons, isn't he? Well, he's, he's great, isn't he? Great what he does. I mean, I wouldn't want to play against him. And uh, him and Witzel have done really well, haven't they, the last mm. couple of games? Yeah, you're not going to get amazing solo performances out of them. But when you stick stick crosses into the box, it's, it's no, there's none better. There's probably only Harry Maguire <laughs> that is more dangerous than Marianne Fellaini inside the box. So, yeah, he serves his purpose for club and country, doesn't he, Fellaini? And actually, we let's maybe from now on we'll make no bones about it. That is what he's in the side for, into the box to, to score headers. Other than that, he's just a neat and tidy bog standard mm. midfield player. That said, he did he did play really well, I thought, against Brazil, and mm. he, he did an excellent defensive job for the team. He, he, so he can do. It's it. manager's dream, isn't he? Mm. He doesn't he doesn't ever let you down except occasionally with his discipline. Oh, he lets you down. I tell you when he lets you down on set pieces. Yeah, he's a truly terrible. <laughs> Keep your eye on him for Manchester United. I've been watching him for years. The times that players have run off of Fellaini to score, he's switched off. Numerous. So maybe France will play on that because he often gets asked to, to pick up the big men, as yeah, you would yeah, do. Yeah. And his concentration levels are appalling inside his own box. So that is his one, one downfall. It'll be interesting to see the role that Vinny Company has in all this, you know, on and off the pitch. I thought it was really striking immediately after they'd won uh, you know, their quarterfinal where... He he was in the middle of the of the huddle mm. and giving them you know giving them the Gettysburg address. He was bang. Yeah. Now 
he will be a key influence off the pitch or on it or both. Oh, both, I think. Um, it's interesting that what Belgium seem to have done is Lukaku seems to lead the, the pre-match huddle, which seems to be the this is the one, this is how we're going to play. And then Vincent Company comes in at the end of the game when they've won and kind of continues to G it up and says, this goes, yeah, we this, go again. Yeah, this goes on from here. <laughs> he, he's, he's obviously a calming presence. He's actually a much more calming personality than he is a calming defender, I think. I think he has a tendency to kind of dash out and try and make challenges out wide where he perhaps doesn't need to. Um, he's also, he also does seem to be, thankfully, learning his physical limitations more and learning that he needs to play as a kind of passive defender more than an active one because his, his legs just... Well, quite to be frankly, he cannot be trusted to cope with, with the active defending. Mm. Um, but in a time, in a side that seems to be very effervescent and at its best when it's bubbling, it does need a calming influence in defence because, as we said, that is, Martin, that is Martinez's weakness and it's Belgium's weakness and the wide areas can be Belgium's weakness defensively. So, yeah, he's an incredibly calming mm. presence. In that context, what about the influence of Thierry Henry? Now, obviously, we're going to make a big thing about it being the Henry derby, you know, Belgium, <laughs> France... When, you, when you're playing for someone who's in a coaching role but has such a storied, legendary career, does that have an impact on you? I think it has to, yeah. Providing you speak sense, of course, because players are very streetwise. And if, if, it doesn't matter if you're... Well, Maradona was a terrible manager, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, his demeanour and his, you know, his instruction to the Argentine side was poor. So that's that watered down his achievements. But if you can somehow marry really astute, tactical instruction uh, with the fact that you, you, you're Thierry Henry and you've got this amazing aura, then you've got yourself a top quality coach, haven't you? So, so um, yeah, Henry, I don't think he's a great pundit. I don't think he's, a, he's, he's brilliant on TV, but personal, you know, preference. But clearly he's got something to offer in a coaching capacity. Yeah, uh, yeah players do take notice. They, they have more respect for Thierry Henry because of what he's achieved, but, but you've got to back it up. Mm. You can't just rely on it. Yeah. Some questions from the listeners and the viewers. Uh, now, we know that Spurs have got nine players in the semi-finals. Uh, Paul Fry asks, is Kieran Trippier the best player at this World Cup? <laughs> I can't think of anyone better, and he might have just doubled his transfer value. <laughs> well, yeah, he probably has doubled his transfer value. He's not the best player at the World Cup, <laughs> come on. Uh, he would probably be getting my team in the tournament at right back. It's only Pavard, really, yeah. kind of uh, rivaling. I thought Mounier's done all right for Belgium, but, but he's had one or two wobbles defensively. So, yeah, I, he would definitely be the best right back at the tournament. And, yeah, he's made me eat my words. I didn't think he was... At that level, I probably would have gone with Alexander-Arnold at the outset if you were going with Carl Walker at the, in that right side of centre-back position. I feel, actually, I feel sorry for Carl Walker because it could be him. <laughs> it yeah. could be him. In the, as a right wing-back, I genuinely think Again, Carl Walker is, is as good, yeah. as, if not better, than, than Trippier. So it's just the way the cards have been dealt. But, uh, yeah, um, Trippier's been, been superb, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, here comes the hospital pass. <laughs> uh, David Stride. What would it have been like if Sam Allardyce was still England manager? It would have been very different. Of course, it would have been very different. There would have been a different mood around the camp. I do think it's worth pointing out that Allardyce at Everton moved Wayne Rooney from centre stage. Um, there's a kind of uh, parody opinion that we'd still have Wayne Rooney playing in centre midfield. I don't think we would. No. I think, and I think Allardyce would have been prepared to give... Um, new things a try. I don't think we'd have as many young players in the squad. I don't think there would be the same national mood of optimism. Um, and I think we would have gone out in the last 16. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were doing a far more defensive side. And as he, well, he was on the radio, wasn't he, uh, this week saying that he would have changed the system. To a 4 4 2. Yeah, and, and of all things, he, he said he would consider dropping Kieran Trippier. So, so thank goodness. It's not <laughs> <laughs> uh, final couple of questions are linked. Um, Bob Beach, well, is it? <laughs> Coming home, I mean. Uh, followed up very quickly by Brendan Bone. And if it isn't, why the hell not? I think this is going to sound incredibly twee, um, but I think it, it already is. I don't think it's coming home, as I said, I don't think it's coming home was ever about winning the World Cup. It's coming home was about post-year 2016, there was an incredible apathy amongst England supporters for the national team because the, the accusation was not just they weren't playing very well, but that they didn't care enough. Mm. Um, this PR campaign from the FA, and it is a PR campaign, I don't mean that in a nasty way, but that's what it is, mm -hmm. to bring the supporters close to the team has worked. 
and it's convinced the public that the players do care. Mm. And that's all we asked for. All we asked for was a team that we were proud in. We didn't ask for a team that was going to win the World Cup. Well, we are now, though. <laughs> yeah, and now it's coming home. Suddenly we think, oh, actually, it really it might do. But I think it already has. Like the, the, When England play their next first qualifying, next competitive game after the World Cup, there will be kids in the crowd and it will be sold out because they've changed the mood and that's all we ever ask for. Yeah, yeah. And uh, is it coming home? I think we're coming to the final. I'm really, really confident we can make the final. But in the final, my, my head tells me we'll be undone. Just, just by talent right. alone. So, so who's in the final with England then, for you? It's really, it's a, a genuine 50-50 game. Um, I, I, I will say... Um, Belgium England final. Uh, we're going to repeat that fixture and play it for real this time. I think, yeah, I think I'm going to say France Croatia, which sounds awful. Um, <laughs> I just think this is one step too far for a team that is. Um, I think Luka Modric is the best player in the game, and if they can get him involved enough, I think they'll be better than us. If not, England will win. Well, I've got England to beat Croatia and play France in the final. Simple. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.